Hello, everyone, and welcome to On Purpose. I'm Janice Alpert, where we interview interesting people who have found their life purpose and hopefully help you figure out what you're doing with your life, that you're doing it with meaning, with purpose, and maybe even doing it on purpose. I'm always excited and appreciative of all my guests. And tonight we have Diane Michaels, who's going to tell us a little bit about herself and what she's doing and how she found her purpose. So, Diane, welcome. Thank you so much, Janice. I'm delighted to be here, and I'm delighted with what you're doing. And I think that's just so awesome what you're providing. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So why don't we just jump right in? And I don't really know you that well. Well, I don't really know you at all. So (laughs) other than what I've read a little bit. So why don't you give us a little bit about your background and kind of who you are and what you're growing up a little bit was like? Thank you. Well, I've been working since I've been about 16 years old. And I feel like work has been my uh, canvas for studying human behavior and organization organizational dynamics. Uh And I have always been very fascinated with human behavior and what has us do the things we do. And of course, I've read every self-help book on the planet, Uh along with, of course, therapy and all of the things you do in the, you know, 70s and the 80s. Yes. And I did them myself, of course. Yes. (laughs) Okay. And so uh, finally, I realized that uh, what I really was, was an HR rebel who wanted to really transform the human resources function within organizations hmm. to actually become liberators of people's potential purpose, passion, and power rather than the policy police and the, you know, the caretakers. I love your, say those, so, so say those P's again, purpose, okay. passion, potential purpose, oh. passion, and power. Okay, love it. Okay. <laughs> and, and so during the pandemic, I decided I would write a book. Now, oh. that was really uh, out of my comfort zone. Mm-hmm. And if I had had any idea what it meant to really write a book, I never would have taken it on. I but understand. I can't quit. I can't mm-hmm. quit now. Yep. So it's still in the pre-publication stage, but it's called Rearchitecting Work, Possibility Partners, Unleashing Potential. Wow. Okay. It's a shift from performance management focus to the focus of unleashing potential. Okay. And I want to create an online community for HR professionals who actually want to become the champions of really changing the paradigm in the workplace. Oh, amazing. Okay. Let's just take a step back. So did okay. you go to school for this? What's, I mean, like, how did you, okay. you said you started working at 16. Were you like, how did this come to be? I was still in high school. Okay. So I didn't drop out of high school. Okay. (laughs) But I, after high school, I went to the community college because I was too afraid to go away to college is Uh really the reason. I, I didn't have concerns about the the academics, but I was sure socially I would just be this wallflower that would Mm -hmm. never be asked to go anywhere. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) I went to my community college, fell in love with the boy that lived in the town next door. Oh, sweet. Yeah, really wasn't so sweet, but it seemed like it at the time. So I understand that as well. (laughs) Go ahead. So, so we got married. I was 
19. He was 20. He was finishing up school. Uh, Age 25, I have two babies who are two and four. He has graduated from college and I'm looking at him and going, what were we thinking? Mm -hmm. And so I, uh, we got divorced and, uh, and it was, you know, it was no one's fault. We just were so ignorant. I understand (laughs) it happens. Yes. And so then I became a, a working mom and had mentors and ended up in the corporate world. Mm -hmm. And really it was, it was perfect in terms of, I really caught on and I was promoted and mentored, but something was missing. And one of the things that was missing is I didn't have a college degree. Mm -hmm. And I swore every time I met people, they would say, and what college did you graduate from? Mm -hmm. So then of course I'd have to go into the explanation. I needed to be sure they knew that it wasn't because I wasn't smart enough. It was because of the life circumstances. Mm -hmm. So finally, when I was uh, in my 40s, I went back to school and got my degree. Oh, my. Impressive. Wow. So a working mother and then school as well. That is not easy. Well, it was uh, it really was. I either had to go back or I had to give up the idea that it mattered. Mm-hmm. And I, I <laughs> that was the choice. So I went to the school for new learning at DePaul, which was fabulous. Mm-hmm. And it's a school uh, here in Chicago, just in case anyone's not from Chicago. <laughs> Actually, it's where my dad went to law school, also in his 40s, by the way. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so now I'm <laughs> interestingly enough. Once I got my degree, no one has asked me where I went to college. I think it's, first of all, that's hysterical, you know, because when I've, I've mentored young people who want to be therapists and they want to apply to Northwestern, not that there's anything wrong with that. I have said that in my 40 year career, I want to say maybe two people have asked me where I've gone to undergraduate or graduate. So (laughs) you do need the degree in, in, in training to be a therapist. So I'm happy that I have that, but if you're good at what you do and you have the passion (laughs) to do it, let's not worry about that as much as doing your work and doing your passion and your purpose. So go ahead. Well, and I will say I learned a lot. I mean, it was a wonderful education. So it wasn't just about getting the degree and it wasn't just about being able to say, yes, here's where I went to college. But I found an organizational communications was what I really focused in on. Okay, that's what I was going to ask you. What was your degree in? Okay. Yeah. (laughs) And so. Not that it matters, but go ahead. (laughs) So I became even more passionate about, you know, what's possible in the workplace. And then I read a book called The Fifth Discipline by Peter Sangy, who is a professor out of MIT. Mm -hmm. And he wrote this book in the 70s. And it was like, he said, When you have a people problem in your work, I can guarantee you that you have a systems problem and a process problem in addition to that. Okay. it didn't seem like that caught on very broadly in organizations because we still, even to this day, seem very individually performance focused on what people are doing or not doing. Versus so, the community versus the yeah, community and the culture of the, of the workplace. The envi- yeah, yeah. The conditions, the environment, uh-huh. the leadership. So anyway, I kept trekking on and <laughs> made a few career changes along the way. Went to court reporting school because I wanted to be in my own business. Then I realized I didn't want to be in a business where they never asked me what I thought. Mm-hmm. So I was just recording what everyone else was thinking. Mm-hmm. So, so, that so, didn't, so you could tell that wasn't going to be a good fit long term. Okay. <laughs> like that you're in touch. 
<laughs> so anyway, I, I, this idea of possibility partners unleashing potential, honestly, I don't know where that idea came from. I feel like I'm a vehicle in this world and the message came from somewhere else and said, oh, she's the one that's going to do this. But it just makes so much sense to me that we are possibility partners in this world, supporting one another, unleashing our potential and our possibilities and purpose and passion. And that if we do that in the workplace, if people experience that at work, Mm -hmm. they can go back to their families, their communities, their neighborhoods and their cities and create a different experience for everyone. And all of that, I believe because it is a domino effect, will then yes. help our country and the world. Which yes. It, it yes. All, all can be, we all need a little help right now. I knew I loved you from the moment that I heard about what you did. I <laughs> oh, agree more. Yes. And, and so it was like this idea that, you know, in our, the national anthem talks about land of the free and home of the brave. But I feel like in our workplaces, it's the land of the fearful and the home of the repressed. Mm. And Ooh, I really love want to unleash and have instead of power over relationships, it's like power with relationships. Mm-hmm. And instead of And this is kind of my key service that I provide in the workplace. Instead of annual performance reviews, I've replaced them with possibility partner conversations. So every week or every other week, uh, a team leader and a team member get together one on one and talk about really simple format. How are you really What have you accomplished that we can celebrate since we last talked? What are you working on? Are there any obstacles? How can I help? And what do you want to commit to between now and the next time we meet? That's it. Yeah. But it's, but what I love about this, it sounds like you're not, yes, you're focused. Of course, you're in a workplace. So you have to focus on the ultimate output and what they're accomplishing, but you're also trying to touch base with who are you as a person? Because if you're not going to be your fullest, best self, anywhere, including the workplace, then how are you going to do the productivity that you should or want to and or are expected to or all of the above in your job and in your career? It's so true. And, you know, Hubert, Hubert Jolie, who was the CEO of Best Buy from mm-hmm. 2012 to 2018, and he's responsible for their turnaround. He wrote this wonderful book and said in it that corporate America is no longer this idea that I think it was Milton Friedman who said, you know, profits, it's shareholder value, excuse me, mm-hmm. optimizing shareholder value. And Jolie says, no, it's people and purpose and the outcome is the profits. And mm-hmm. I feel that way about this idea of our performances. If we focus on unleashing potential, the performances happen. It's like we don't have to be control freaks in managing the performance. We have to be caring people who actually create the conditions for people to be unleashed. You know, I love that because, you know, when you think about the word control, you know, so much of what's happened in the last year and a half, obviously, we've all had no control over so many things in our life. And we've had to learn to figure out how to let go and still be the best who we can be both in our work, which has been mostly remote, including for myself um, and, and in our families and in, again, our cities, our communities, in our country, in our world, all of that is how do you do that when you don't have, it appears you don't have that much control when really we always have some sense of, 
well, I can choose how I'm going to handle this. And if we do that to our truest, most authentic part of who we are, then our performance in all areas of our life, including the workplace, just will flow. If you try to, if you try to, as a boss, try to control the other person that they must do it a certain way, instead of trying to figure out what's their, just what you're saying, what's their talent instead of having it just in my head that this is the only way to do it. And again, I understand because of course I feel in life, you know, the way I do it is always the best way, of course, (laughs) but I certainly have learned in all my years that that actually is not necessarily true. (laughs) And that sometimes you have to let people personally and professionally do it their way to get the best outcome. Yeah. It's really, really interesting. I, I don't know if you read Future Shock back in the 70s. Alvin Toffler wrote the book. And in it, he said, the greatest challenge we will face in the 21st century is to learn, unlearn and relearn. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting is I just read a book called Think Again, which is all about the idea of relearning. And mm-hmm. it's like, Looking you, at you read a lot of books. Yeah, go ahead. I do. <laughs> That's wonderful. I do. Go ahead. I have a I have a library. I'm happy to share with anyone because oh. they are my teachers. The books I and wonderful. And but in, this was so significant because he was talking about. Well, first of all, he was talking about how we communicate, and he said there's the preachers, the prosecutors, and the politicians. Those are the three styles of communication that he says aren't really very effective if you really want people to open their minds and change their minds. Well, I can <laughs> certainly speak to that third one, but I won't. But anyways, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Well, I can speak to the first one because I'm so passionate about what I'm doing Mm -hmm. that I can easily sound like a preacher and people really can get turned off because they don't want to do it because I think it's so great. They want to do it because they see the value. Yeah. So that's the whole thing. That's the trick (laughs) or not the trick, but that's the idea. Yeah. Well, but in his book, he makes it so clear that we should be more like scientists and always looking at what else can we do. And when we are proven wrong, it's like we've learned something. So instead of making ourselves wrong, it's like, oh, wow, I learned a new thing that's going to empower us. And exactly. I like that idea of learning, which to me in the workplace, it's about expressing ourselves versus proving ourselves. Mm -hmm. And I think it's about contributing versus acquiring. Mm -hmm. And I just I just think there's so much possibility that resides in our workplaces based on, you know, what people's experiences are in them. But it just To me, it is about people being liberated to get their power and the impact they can have. And I actually think of life now kind of as improv. And I took a class in improv one time years ago. But and I thought I wanted to be an improv performer, but I had no courage. I was here you come, huh? (laughs) I was so petrified. I couldn't get up on stage, but I learned a lot. And the thing about improv, you know, when you're on stage with your partners, Mm -hmm. you never make them wrong. You always, it's yes. And which Mm -hmm. I think is true for life. It's like, whatever happens, instead of arguing with it, just like, yes. And then what can I do in Mm -hmm. response to it? So I think that's so possible in the workplace, but my real, what I really get frustrated with is 
I think there must be 6,000 books on how to be an effective leader. Mm. And what's interesting to me is I haven't encountered that many great leaders. And I've been in a lot of different workplaces. Yes, you have. So it's like, okay, why don't we look at the conditions that Mm -hmm. contribute to what's possible for people and actually take more responsibility for the conditions, the resources, the culture, the communications, the practices, the technology, the environment, the, you know, do we have windows that we look out of? And yes, it's just, I, I think that has such an impact on people. I, I totally agree. So let me ask you, like, so right now, do you go into companies as a consultant or what, what's, or do people come to you and say, I'm working in this kind of toxic environment, but I, I still love my job. Can you help me navigate? What's, what's your, what are you doing right now? All of the above, but what my intention is, so my my real website is launching in the middle of October, and I expect to have my book published by January. Right. And in the book are the 10 design principles for these conditions that I talk about. Okay. But I really want to work with HR professionals who are in their organizations and support them transforming their organizations. So, so I'll so- do... So your goal would be like to have someone at, I don't know, let's say Abbott or whatever, the yes. HR, one of the HR directors, yes. we have it contact you yes. and say, hey, can you yes. come in and help me yes. do a better job managing my people and or whatever is, HR does? Yeah. And it is these 10 design principles. And they're really very specific because it's not just about changing the practices. It's also about changing the hearts and minds of people. Mm-hmm. And having them really look at individuals as partners, as opposed to people you have to placate and take care mm-hmm. of and and manipulate to do the performances that you want. And I actually recently sat in on an HR culture summit, which was incredible because it was really new thinking. Mm-hmm. And one of the HR professionals participating actually has the uh, title, the heart officer in her organization. Oh, I That's like the that. title for HR. I like it's, that. <laughs> it's Vayner Media in New York. And she said, you know, we haven't revisited the workplace sort of structure in a hundred years. Mm-hmm. So COVID has actually forced us to revisit what are the practices. And she said, you know, what's magical about five days a week? Maybe we could get it all done in three days a week. Right. I think and COVID, even though it's been upsetting to all of us, of course, because we had to rearrange our whole life has taught if we're have, if you're willing and have been willing to examine yourself and your business, um, there's tons of potential now for how things could stay changed in a positive way. So you're so right. Mm -hmm. Well, and in so much of the HR conversation these days really is about what they're becoming much more holistically humanly oriented. And in fact, you know, there are surveys that say 50% of our workforce are looking for different jobs because they've reevaluated their lives. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a good thing. I think it's great for people to become conscious and choose as opposed to feel like work is a burden to survive until you can retire. You know, I'll, I'll never forget back when I was in my twenties and we were friends with some other couples and whatever. And one, and this one guy was a dentist 
And anytime we'd get together, we'd say how I hate being a dentist. I hate being a dentist. So, but he was making a nice living and had two kids. And as far as I know, he continued being a dentist till he retired. Probably. I don't know. I don't see them anymore, but I remember always feeling like how sad that you're doing something your whole life. And while financially you're doing okay, you know, my philosophy is that if you're really following your passion and your purpose, then abundance and money will follow. And oh. so you have to take the leap of faith to inside your own heart and soul. Yes. Like, for example, if you want a book written, you can't just say, oh, please let universe, <laughs> let me write the book. You do have to sit down and write the book. But then you do have to contact a publishing company or publish it yourself and market it. So there is some work involved. But at the yeah. end of that, while it also not at the end of it, the process of it where you're really being true to yourself you are so much more fulfilled and you have more meaning in your life because you are doing your purpose. And, and, and it's so much, uh, I can hear how you're talking. You like love what you're doing. I can't, I can't imagine spending our lives in in breakdown and complaining. And it's like, I mean, to me, it really is about participating, contributing and self-expressing. And it's like, and it's my responsibility to figure that out. It I, isn't anybody else's responsibility. But I think, I just think, it, to me, it's not about the position or the title. And I get the finances of it. I certainly do. And, I don't. and we want, hey, I like yeah. money. I mean, we all want to be of comfortable course. and pay our bills and go on vacation. Exactly. Hey, I support that. Exactly. But not exactly. at the cost of your soul. Then I think, no. 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 And, you know, there is this new sort of concept in the workplace, uh, human centered leadership, which is really more holistic. It's really taking into account that we we bring our whole selves to work and we don't leave, you know, our outside life at the door kind of thing. The other thing that I found really interesting and I think is really a great concept is this whole idea of psychological safety at work, which Google is the organization that actually coined this term first. And when they did research on their, their teams and they identified that the key distinction, only one distinction between their good performing teams and their great performing forming teams was psychological safety Mm -hmm. and psychological safety was simply being able to speak my mind without repercussions. Right. And being actually even able, you know, if you say you're the boss and you say, Diane, here, I need this by the end of the day, I could actually respond. You know what? I appreciate that, Janice, but I don't have the bandwidth for that. Right. right. Wait till tomorrow or the next day. Without feeling like like you're speaking up. Right. Without feeling like your boss or your manager is going to go, hmm, demerit, yes. demerit. You know, uh-huh. you're not going to get that promotion or that yeah. raise and you might even have your job at Jeopardy. Then right. you should feel free to be able to say it should be a, a very um, cooperative, you know, kind of collaborative, collaborative. collaborative, collaborative. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so that's so when you meet with these HR yeah. people, that's <laughs> yes. kind of what you're trying to say to them. Um if they're reaching out to you, they must already have some kind of like, yeah, what I've been doing is not working. So they're open to the Diane Michaels way. Yes. <laughs> what I've really done and my intention with the book, Janice, really, I don't expect it to be a bestseller on the, you know, New York Times bestseller list or anything. Hey, like you that. never know. Let's not put any negatives in there. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. I really wrote the book with the idea that 
and it's short, 70 pages. It isn't even full size, oh, Great, but it's the 10 design principles. And my premise is if you buy this, we would be aligned in working together. If this is too radical for you, too much of a shift, and I can appreciate that it is. I, I'm not going to spend my time convincing right. people. I want to spend my time supporting people, bringing this into the workplace. Yeah. Well, that's one of the key things I think right now that we're all being challenged with is that, you know, people have strong beliefs on a variety of issues right now. <laughs> and I can either, if I meet someone that has an opposing view, get all worked up and try and convince them yeah. or send them lots of love and compassion, set my own boundaries that maybe I'm not going to hang out with them if they, you know, aren't safe or I don't feel they're safe, but I don't have to yell at them. I don't have to convince them of doing something that they obviously don't believe in. And I'm going to be in a place of love. And so, and, and encourage that with, you know, the people around me again, both personally and professionally that, because to me to be angry and trying to change somebody's mind, who does that hurt? But ourselves. Oh, I know. And, you know, Adam Grant, who is the author of Think Again, says in terms of discussing different points of view with people, he had such a great response. He said, is there any evidence I could provide that would change your mind? And if the person says no, he's like, thanks very much. It was great talking with you. And the, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Because that's and, you know, you know, on the on, you know, again, I'm not making this all political, but that's one of the key things about people who aren't are against vaccinations, you know, that <sighs> you can show them scientific article after scientific article and they still say, Nope, not for me. And literally I've heard interviews on, on, you know, line or whatever. And, yes. and where they, where the, like Sanjay Gupta has said, is there anything I can say? I remember he was talking to a nurse who is, may lose her job because she's not yeah. getting vaccinated. Is yeah. there anything I can say to convince you that it's safe and that you, this was yeah. just recently that it's now been eight months and people have gotten vaccinated, safe, et cetera. And she yeah. said, no. She yeah. said, no. So he said, okay, well, you know, good luck to you. And, and then yeah. at the end he went, but I recommend. So, so I felt he handled it though beautifully and not in a place of, of anger or vitriol or whatever, just in, okay, you know what you, everyone can have their own opinion and, yes. but I'm going to be in a place of love to the best of my ability and a yes. place of acceptance. I'm going to, if someone asks my opinion, I certainly would be happy to share it and why and what about that or about whatever. Yeah, and anyone in my yeah. family would say, oh yeah, she'll share her opinion. Um, <laughs> but I try to wait until um, I'm asked. I'm not, as my kids would say, I'm not always that successful in that area. I may offer it unasked, but I try to wait till I'm asked. But, um, but yeah, so everything that you're saying is yeah. you, you have researched this in your life and you found these principles can be incredibly helpful. But if someone isn't on that page of your book or at all, then right. next and you're fine with that. Oh, totally. I don't, right. I want to spend my time creating and contributing and furthering the possibilities. And, you know, it is a mindset. It's about mm -hmm. possibility versus, yep. you know, and it's about abundance versus scarcity. Exactly. And it's about collaboration versus competition. So there are some, there are some mindsets mm -hmm. that are very, uh, are, are foundational. No. Well, no, I, every, everything you're saying, I think is amazing. So inside though, even as yeah. you're talking about it, do you, yeah. you feel like you're on your path here? I mean, like what, on the inside, What's going on for you? <laughs> I can't not do this. It's okay. like even on my worst day, mm -hmm. it's it's uh, it's just it's so clear to me, and I 
I mean, I've always been, not always, no, that's a lie. In my 20s and 30s, well, <laughs> let, let's reframe that. I but understand that. I, I would say, and, you know, I am on a spiritual path and I've read a, a range of books mm-hmm. and have always found teachers to sort of take me to the next, the next Level. phase, whatever it was. <laughs> and this just kind of evolved. And it was when I worked at the YWCA, though, Metropolitan Chicago, with who was then the CEO, Doreen McWhorter, who's now the CEO at the YMCA. Okay. And she was, she's an amazing leader. Mm-hmm. Her premise is everybody matters. And she Love and I were so in alignment that uh, that really was where I was able to bring these conditions into practice, not as successfully as I think I could do it now. It's like five years later, mm-hmm. I've learned a lot, mm-hmm. but it's like initially started out with saying, to the management, what do you like about your performance review system? And their unanimous answer was, we don't like anything about it. And we said, okay, we'll dump it and we'll replace it with these conversations because it's not about assessing and evaluating. It's about expressing and finding your passion and your potential and your, and your competency. Right. Love it. But what I love is that you, you were open and you listened to your own inside self that said, this is, I'm turned on by this. This is like fun. It's what I need to do. I don't even have a choice. I have to follow this. And just, you know, I'm just saying even to the listeners, you're like vibrant and vivacious and you can just see you're excited about this. And I'm sure you're going to be helping tons of people. Um, and I feel it sounds like you're focused, you know, on, on HR and in the, in the workplace. But to me, you're, you're really dealing with human beings. So when we make an impact on human beings, wherever that is, we're, we're doing good. So yay to Diane. Well, thank you. But, and I do think HR is the perfect function I to champion this shift yes. and get them out of the policy police and handbook creators totally. and get them into really making the contributions for people. You know, there is a George Bernard Shaw quote that has been sort of at the heart of my existence for okay. a number of years. And I'll just with the quick part of it, which is this is the true joy in life, the being used for a purpose recognized by yourself as a mighty one, the being a force of nature instead of feverish, selfish little clod of ailments and grievances, complaining that the world will not devote itself to making you happy. Mm-hmm. That's it. Love it. Because it puts the responsibility of of your of your yeah. life and the quality of it right where it belongs, with which is within ourselves. So if if before we end, this has been so delightful. Before we close, and I'm gonna I have a quote too, but before we close, anything like if you were gonna say to somebody who's like, I sort of want to change careers, but I don't know, any words of wisdom that you might have to offer? I would say Get a group, a support group together and uh-huh. start talking about it, period. Barbara Cher, who was, you know, she created success teams and it was um, uh, Wishcraft, How to Get What You Really Want was her first book. I mean, she said, we all have something to contribute in this life. And if we don't, we are going to be in breakdown. And she said, the dream killer is isolation. It's mm-hmm. not your lousy attitude or your skills and abilities. It's the isolation. Mm-hmm. So I just think, and if people aren't supportive, including if you grew up, you know, I grew up in North Dakota, a small town of really? 5,000 people. Yes. Oh, wow. I escaped. Right, get to that part. Oh, you escaped. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Small town of 5,000 people. I They were 
fine, but I would not describe them as a hotbed of progressive thinkers Mm -hmm. that I grew up with. And I just think you can't, whatever your childhood experiences were, I don't think you can allow them to be a life sentence. I, I I totally agree because whatever our our childhood life yeah. or even like you said with your divorce or whatever you know stuff happens. I mean I'm divorced. Yes. I mean, I'm very close friends with my ex husband. You know you could be bitter and angry that it didn't work out or that somebody you know there's all kinds of reasons people have affairs and they, and they go bankrupt and they're lying and whatever. So you can be angry and bitter about that or you can say that was a sad period of my life. It was unfortunate. What can I learn from it so I can move on and perhaps help others? And I agree with you about the isolation that when we have the support of others around us. Mm -hmm. So I feel I have this really wonderful set of long-term women friends who are like my posse and, and, and I've done lots of different things throughout my career and they've all been very supportive. I have a nice husband and he's unbelievably supportive and my sister. So you have to have people in your life that's, that are like your cheerleaders to say, yeah, "Yeah, we hear you. And even though it might sound like what, because I've had that, like, what is she doing right now? Like, even when I opened up my practice and that was, I was married to my first husband and he was so supportive. And, and so you have to have people in your life that are going to kind of back you um, when, especially if you're going to be making a big change um, or even a small change. That is really hard to do. Not that it can't be done even on your own if your inner voice is telling you to do it, but it makes it a lot easier if you have. So I like your like, don't be isolated. I think that's (laughs) like a really good uh, pitch, Uh, not pitch idea (laughs) of a recommendation, whatever word you want to use, suggestion, advice, all of it. (laughs) So, Diane. I'll be curious about your book when give me it, shoot me an email when it's done. And, oh, and I know. because I, no, I, I want to read, even though I'm not in really corporate America, I'm always interested in new and innovative ideas and thoughts. So um, you are absolutely for sure on your path and on your purpose. And it's wonderful. Um, so here's, here's the one that I picked, which I always think is funny. Cause you know, I pick it before, you know, and yeah. then it just happens, just happens as you know, whatever, but here's, yes. here's what I picked for today. You were put on this earth to achieve your greatest self, to live out your purpose and to do it courageously is what feeds your soul. And that was by Steve Mayer. I don't even can't say his last name, but it's some spiritual person. But yeah, I love it. Yeah. So it's really, really, really good. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you again. I appreciate you doing this. You are. I love that you're so passionate and excited about what you do. And I'm sure you're going to continue helping others, which is great. Thank you so, so much, Janice. You are you just bring out the best in people. Oh, that's so nice. Well, thank you so much. All right. Well, we're going to end it there. So I'll just take that compliment and just feel good about it. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so until next time, this is Janice Alpert with On Purpose. Hopefully you're living your life with purpose and perhaps even on purpose until next time. Bye. Bye.